Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Today I'm sharing on life in the Son of God. When we talk about sons and fathers, I want you just to remember before we begin, it's not a gender thing, it's a relational thing. And there's more that we can understand about the love of God than what we have now. And I want you to get this, that you've got to have a heart that's ready to receive, that says, there is more to the knowledge of the love of God than what I have right now. And so I'm ready to receive that. So are you ready to receive more of the knowledge of the love of God towards you? Yeah? Because yeah? we don't have it all down pat. There's so much more. And not only are we ready to receive more of the knowledge of the love of God, but we're ready to experience more of the love of God. So how many people here experience all there is to, to have of the love of God? Yeah, I want to experience more of the love of God. I want to know more about the love of God, and I want to experience more of the love of God. And that's what the book of John is all about. I've read... John chapter 11, and I want you to turn with me, if you want, you can, it'll be also on the screen in a minute. I've read that many times and not quite understood what this was all about. It's a very long chapter designated to one miracle, yeah. which is sort of out of context because most of the other miracles, there's a, there's a, a, a couple of verses or a passage, but here there's a whole chapter designated to one miracle. So if you're reading your Bible, it should be a clue that there's more to the miracle than meets the eye. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. So life in the Son of God. This is the sixth miracle of, that John records. The sixth is the number of man. And uh, it's located, this miracle, in Bethany. And Bethany, its, uh, its name means, and it's got a great meaning if you're into names, it means the house of depression or misery. <laughs> hey, hun, why don't we move to the house of misery and depression? Yeah. Up, uptown. Yeah, why not? So here's the location. It's, it's a picture of man. This whole miracle is a picture of man and his pain and his misery. This is bigger than Lazarus. This is a picture of the story of mankind. And that Jesus, the Son of God, is coming to touch the deepest parts of our pain and our disappointment and our misery, because He loves us. Amen? Amen. So are you ready to go on a journey today? Yeah. Good morning, too, to the live stream people who are listening and also those on YouTube. We pray today that God's going to encounter you in a great way. You're in a good place a safe place where God's going to touch you. So let's read together. Now, a certain man was sick. So this is more than just Lazarus. This is a picture of everyone here today, everyone listening. This is a picture of all mankind. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. God, there's a sick world. 
don't know if you've seen that, but you just need to go to the football. I went to the football last night. It's a sick world. It's a world in pain with anger and frustration. And this picture is a picture of mankind. And you've got to ask yourself, with all the turmoil, all the the pain, the shootings, the rapes, the murders, the chaos, the breaking down of marriages, Lord, what is at the heart of this problem that could make a world so sick? It's not how it should be. Do you ever think like that? What's behind all this stuff that's going on? All the breakdown, the confusion, the misery, the disappointment. And I believe the the problem for the world, essentially, it has a sick, damaged heart. And this is what the book of John has written with this, this very thing in mind. John is addressing the core issue of everyone's problem. That's the book of John. And at the heart of all the pain in the world is this one thing. And everything derives out of this. And are you ready? The world has an orphan spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 18, he says, I'm leaving you a promise. I will not leave the world with this orphan spirit. He says, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit who would come as the spirit of sonship. He says, I will not, you, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You are going to come alive also. And the mission of Jesus was to break this orphan spirit that pervades right around the world. It's a fatherless spirit. And remember when I talk about sons and fathers, we're not talking about gender. We're talking about relational issues of the heart. Our pain is that mankind has been separated from the unconditional love of Father God. And this is what this whole story is about. There's a certain man that's sick. Jesus loved this man. I wrote about this whole orphan spirit in my first book, The Gospel According to Noah. And if you've not read that book, it's probably the second most important book after the Bible. (laughs) That was a joke. Anyway, a wise man quoted in that book, it was in this garden that Satan, listen to what's been said, the first orphan deceived Adam and Eve. Satan is the master orphan. That's his nature. That's his role is to separate us from the heart of a good, kind father. That's his one motto. That's his mission is to take you out of the covering of the heart of God. He set about on the mission of getting God's people, God's children, to distrust their father. When Adam and Eve agreed with Satan's stance against father's heart, the earth was cursed with an orphan spirit. So when the earth was cursed, literally what happened was the earth was impregnated with an attitude or a disposition that said, we are no longer loved. As a result of the fall, man's spirit, soul, and body was dramatically altered. Man's spirit died to the life of God. That's what happened at the fall. We had no way of connecting 
heart to heart with God anymore. Adam and Eve walked with God, spirit to spirit. Imagine waking up, being born, and the first eyes that you see is God. Imagine what that was like to not know any pain, any sin, any shame, and you see God's eyes towards you, and it's filled with love. Your whole world is filled with love. Every day God says, I love you. You're my favorite. You're amazing. How could you not win in life? And the moment that was severed, Adam and Eve were picking up all the signals for their life from a fallen, cursed world that redefined what Father was saying. They couldn't hear Father anymore. The reason Jesus came was to reconnect our ability to hear what Father is actually saying about us because we don't know anymore. So mankind is picking up its senses, its, its, its signals from a world that's fallen and broken. And no wonder it's in pain. Our spirit died to the life of God and our eyes were opened to perceive God and ourselves and the world around us in a whole new way. Instead of looking inward, we looked outward for something to verify and validate who we are. And that's why the world grows up and they're looking for rock stars and sports stars and all sorts of things and people to validate their sense of worth and identity. And the truth is only God, the Father, can validate your identity. And His banner over you today is love. Doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been, how many times you've blown it, God is head over heels in love with you today. And there's nothing that you can do to stop Him loving you. He pursues you. We loved because He first loved us. We didn't come up with a good idea to become a Christian. God pursued us and we relented. So Adam and Eve believed the lies of the original orphan and as a result, they took on the nature of the master orphan and they traded their garments of glory. Now, I want you to think about this word glory because most people do not know what it means. His glory, wow. What is his glory? Some spiritual nebulous thing that floats in the... His glory is something that is paramount to this whole story that we're going to read in Lazarus. Doesn't he say to Martha, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. We'll unpack that in a minute. So they exchanged the glory of God that covered them. And they exchanged it for orphan rags, cover themselves up with fig leaves, which is a spirit of fatherlessness. And isn't it the fig that Jesus cursed? He cursed that spirit that would cause us to walk in shame and rejection. So people today fall in two camps, and it's the same in the church as it is anywhere else. You see God as one of two things, as a judge or as a father. Some see God as a judge who is holy and therefore has to separate and distance himself from everyone that has sin. I grew up thinking God was like that. In fact, I, I've told you many times that it's humorous now. It was painful back then. But in fact, every time I sinned, I thought I was out of the kingdom. It was like, you know, Russian roulette was like, you know, there's a little, some sort of computer in heaven that has these two words, in and out. Actually, three words, Andrew at the top, in and out. 
And every time I sinned, it'd go to out. And if I was repented long enough, it'd go back to in. And there was an angel there that pressed these two buttons. And if the rapture came at the right time when I was doing something right, I'd go to heaven. If I blew it and the rapture came, ha, sorry about that, mate, you've been left behind. That's how I thought. A holy God that couldn't stand sin. You know, I read about my book that we think sin's kryptonite and God's Superman and that he can't go near anyone that's sinful. So we have this judge that's demanding and, and severe and the moment you sin, I don't want to talk to you about it. Keep short accounts with God because if you're, if you're living in sin, God doesn't want you. So many of my friends that I worked with, they'd say, if I came to church, hell would freeze over and you know, blow up the church, there's so much sin in my life. It's like, Really? Is that what we think about God, that when we're sinful and when we're in pain and there's areas of shame and darkness in our life, that that's the very time we can't come to God? So we see God as this judge. Harsh. So the religious people condemned Jesus because he hung around sinners, prostitutes, all sorts of people that don't belong in church. And they couldn't understand that Jesus could come and represent Father God And yet hang around people whose lives were far less than what they should be. Severe, awful God. No wonder man's sick, because that's his view of God now. It's pain, sin in my life, and God can't love me. i got to get my act together first. I clean up my life and then I'll come to church. It's like saying I'll get well, then I'll go to hospital. It's crazy. And that's why I've harped for years about this false doctrine that says that when Jesus hung on the cross, God turned his back because he can't look at sin. And so it was all up to Jesus to do the deal. And when Jesus had cleaned up the world, God came back and said, welcome home, son. That's not the heart of God. That's not what happened at all. The reason Jesus cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's the lie of sin. He became a sin bearer and he cried out the cry that has been ushered out right through generations. God, why have you forsaken me? This is a story of Martha and Mary. God, where are you? You're supposed to love me. That's what Jesus cried out on the cross. God, where are you? It wasn't Jesus thinking that. It was the cry of mankind. He was bearing the pain of the orphan spirit. And it rung out right across the world throughout eternity. This cry for a father to love us and come and hold us. And this is the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus presents God as the one that comes looking for the lost lamb. He's always going where he shouldn't be. He's searching and seeking for the broken. And that's the challenge for all of us, that we would allow God into the rooms, the areas that we're ashamed of, that we've told no one about. The things that cripple us, that pain us. This is a story that Jesus presents as Jesus, the Son of God. Wow, it's all there. I wrote in the Gospel according to Noah, when people know they're righteous even when they sin, they will be free from guilt that comes as a result of the condemnation. And when we're free from guilt, we are free to access His presence and find true freedom from the sins that ensnare us. For the key to transformation is this. 
We must embrace the revelation that change is only possible in his presence. You can't change it else. And that's why the devil wants you to think that you're separate from God and that he's angry and you've got to clean up your life because he knows you can't. Change is possible when I come into his presence and I sense his love. His love changes me. So we read the Bible and we think we obey his commands if we love him. And we think we read the uh, 1 John and 2 John and 3 and it's so confusing. It's like, because that's our mindset. I must obey his commands to prove his love. No. It's the flip side. In fact, all the commandments of God are a signpost to show us how much we love him. So when I'm struggling to obey his commands, it's not an invitation for me to try harder. It's an invitation for me to rest more in his love. For his love propels me to obey. Not the other way around. My obedience isn't proof of my love. My love makes it easy to obey. We don't have an obedience problem. We have a love problem. And we're going to see down the track that Jesus can handle our stench. Oh, Lord, you can't go in there, Lord. He's been dead four days. He stinks. And we're going to find out as we go further that there's no area that's too smelly for God. You know what I'm saying, don't you? There's areas that we think, well, God, you cannot love these areas of my life. And it's just hardwired in us. I'm a pastor. I should read my Bible. It helps. I find sermons there. But there's a day, I know he's going to there's days where I forget to read my Bible, I get too busy. And, and, and then this, I'll read twice as much tomorrow. See, we're hardwired that way. Shame and guilt and condemnation. God says, oh, you've been busy, son. It's okay. We'll connect again tomorrow. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. Imagine if we treated our wives that way. Right? You've got to spend twice as much time with me tomorrow. I know you've been busy washing dishes, but that's no excuse. John 11. Get back to John 11. It's all in John 11. Man's dead and bound. Lazarus not only sick, now he's dead. Malachi... The last prophet in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, prophesied that until Elijah came, which is a picture of John the Baptist, the earth would be under a curse. And the curse is the curse of fatherless that we've been talking about. He says in verse 5 and 6 of Malachi, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Elijah carries the father anointing. That's what he's famous for. My father, my father. He's the one that trains up sons. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn. That word turn means to restore and to return to the starting point. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. God's saying, I'm going to make it like the garden. That every day that you wake up, you're going to see my smiling face over your life. That's what he's saying. Too good to be true? Well, it is. It's true. And the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. So John comes baptizing a baptism of repentance. What's that about? You get your life right and get into church. No. That was a joke. No. 
No, it's repentance. Generations of thinking God's angry. And all of a sudden there's a son coming. And he's going to talk about a father. So John begins to baptize them. Getting them ready for the son of God. I love this story of John 11 because one of my favorite verses, again, that I wrote about is in verse 16. Because it doesn't make sense. And I love verses that don't make sense. And Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his disciples, because Jesus said, look, Lazarus is dead. Let's go now and I'll heal him. The disciples are all clueless. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. So they go along for the ride. And as they go to, to meet Lazarus or where he is, Thomas says, Lord, let's, let's read it. He says, let us go also that we may die with him. Oh, yes, Thomas, what a great idea. <laughs> and the next verse doesn't say, and the disciples look with a perplexed look and said, what have you been drinking? <laughs> when was the last time that you said, oh, I'm going to a funeral today. Oh, good, let's, let's all go and die together today. <laughs> it's rather weird, isn't it? That's what broken people do. Remember Thomas, he's the twin. Twins, one of the things about twins, they get the same haircut, same clothes. They have identity issues. Not all twins, but it's associated with this story. Jesus is saying those that are broken and haven't got strong identity, they will succumb to whatever spirit is in that area. It's a spirit of death. So Thomas, being weak, he walks into that area and he's dominated by the spirit of that region. And that's what Jesus came to heal. That's why people give their bodies away. That's why people make all sorts of dumb decisions because when you're not whole, when you haven't been loved by the Father, when you lack that sense of worth and identity, you will always succumb to those around you. Show me a young girl that is loved by mum and dad and God that gives herself away. It doesn't happen. Vice, you know, same with young boys. It just doesn't happen. So Thomas is part of this whole story. He's sick, and we see down the track that Jesus heals his sickness by appearing where Thomas isn't there. That'd be right. I'm always left out. Always picked last on the disciple team. <laughs> Jesus did this on purpose. It's like, I'm going to get that little thing inside you and heal it. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, you, you died for me. Not just all the you, for me. And Jesus said, blessed are all those that have not seen but believe. Anyway, we continue on. John eleven thirty two. 32, have you got that in your Bible? And Mary came where Jesus was and saw him and she fell at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you had been here. See, separation. Lord, where are you? You're supposed to love me. Where have you been for the last six days, five days? Where were you when I was in pain? Where are you, God? The truth was that Jesus was always with her. He knew what was going on. He may not have been there physically, but he was with her. He knew what was going on. God knew. Jesus knew everything was going to happen. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise. You may not see him. You may not feel he's there. But you need to know that 
Jesus is with you today. He's passionately with you today. And that mindset will change everything in your life. You are no longer an orphan. You are a loved son. Wow. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, I would have got that job. I would have married the right woman. It's all your fault. That's Adam and Eve's story, isn't it? Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews came weeping, the whole world's crying. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. That word trouble means to snort with anger. <laughs> like a racehorse. <laughs> he was angry. And he wasn't angry at Mary or Martha or Lazarus. He was angry at this orphan spirit that causes people to die, to be sick, to feel separated and unloved. And that's why he came as the son with a mission to kill that orphan spirit. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come and see, Lord. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. The best verse to memorize. (laughs) And the Jews said, oh, how he loved him. Why did he cry? Because it was a cry. He was weeping for all of humanity, not just Lazarus. It was Jesus began to feel the pain of our separation and our shame. The moments we're in our darkest place, Jesus, that is probably one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. He knows my pain and he feels it. He's acquainted with my pain. He's not indifferent to my pain. He's going to do something about it. So I love it that he cries and he snorts. Don't you? I don't just need sympathy and compassion. I need deliverance. Don't you? Jesus cries and snorts. Now, there's a thought for you to go home with today. He's my deliverer and he's my compassionate friend. Okay. Verse 38. And as I began to read this, I began to see that sonship is God's gift to a hurting world. And this is what John's all about. Jesus comes as the son to heal our pain. So Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you would believe, here we go, you would see the glory of God. I'm about to do something, Martha, and my glory is going to be revealed and I'm going to raise him from the dead. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Well, there's a revelation. God hears us. Our Father hears us. He is saying this not for his benefit, but for yours. You feel separated, but he's saying in your deepest, darkest moments, our Father in heaven hears us when we cry out. Now, I know you always hear me. Again, the son knows that God always hears him. You've got to get this. An orphan says, God chooses when he hears me. He hears me when I'm good, and when I'm bad, he turns his back on me. Because that's what he did to Jesus. He can't be relied upon. But he says, no, Father, you always hear me. Listen, when you're good and when you're not so good, God hears you. His heart's towards you today. 
Are we having trouble thinking about this today? Does it seem to be so hard that God could be so good? What has religion done to God? What has our own experiences done to this God that we say is our loving Father? Anyway, and I know you always hear me, but because of everyone standing by for us today, listen, Jesus is saying it for you today. I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Who did he send? His son. God, Jesus wants you to believe that God sent his son, who is a picture to us of the unrelenting love that God has for us. So he says, Father, I'm saying this because I, I want them to hear what I'm hearing, that you hear my prayer and that they might see that you've sent a son because how you relate to me is how you relate to everybody. So I am mirroring in my life. I am a picture of how you respond to everybody. Yeah. He sent a son so we would see the greatness of his heart. Then when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, bound hand and foot with great clothes and his face was wrapped in a cloth and Jesus had loosed him and let him go, raised from the dead and set free. What an amazing thing. The answer to our sin and pain is the Son. Did you hear that? Yeah. Unto us a child is born. So the child was just an avenue to get into the world. But the gift is the son. Unto us a child is born, unto us the son is given. God so loved the world, he thought, what does the world need, a world that's in so much pain? Will I give them some Panadol? Will I give them, what, what will I, how can I medicate their pain? He says, no, I'm going to give them a son. Yeah. That's my gift yeah. to a world in pain. And this is John's message. This is what Jesus is trying to get Mary and Martha and all that society, that, that village to understand that his problem, Lazarus is bound, he's in pain, he's a picture of all the world. They are bound by this orphan spirit. And I'm going to come. I'm going to release the glory of the Father. And the glory of the Father is this, his intense love for the Son. That's what raises people out of their pits. When we get a revelation of his love for the Son. John writes about this right through the scriptures. I'm going to paraphrase just a couple of verses. Listen to this. It's on the screen. This is not the literal verse. It's paraphrased. Okay? John 1.1. The Son is the living expression of the Father. It literally says the Son is the Word. But the word means living expression. The Son came to be a living expression of the Father. He came to reveal to us how good God was because we can't see God. So Jesus comes in a visible form. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son. And we see that's what it looks like to be loved by God. I see a God that loves the Father and that's the result of being loved. That's what Jesus is. I see Father's love for the Son. I see the Son responding to the Father in submission and obedience. I see the Son walking in grace and in love and truth. I get a revelation of the glory of God. The closer you come to God, the more you become like the Son. John 1.3, everything in creation has the Son stamped on it. Think about that. 
John 1.4, sorry, John 1.4, yes. We encounter the life of Jesus as the Son, and we are awakened to who we are. In Him was life, and that life, life means to be spiritually awakened. That life is the light of man. No area of brokenness, orphan feelings can overpower the life of a son. This is what John's writing about. When we encounter the life and the light of Jesus, darkness in our life will be broken. The key to your breakthrough, your brokenness, your addictions, your pain is to encounter the son and the father. Are you getting this? You don't need more therapy. You need more of the son. And more of the Father. You need to encounter his love today. Amen. This is what John writes. John 1.12, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become sons of God or born of God. John 1.4, the son came in a physical body as a child and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father. See, that's the whole thing that raised Lazarus from the dead was the glory of God. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It was the love of God that came into the tomb and touched that orphan spirit and raised him from the dead and unwound him and made him free. This is what it means to encounter God. We come, he heals us, he saves us, he brings us alive and then he unwinds us and we encounter his love day after day after day and we become whole. This is John's passionate writings to know Jesus as the Son of God, the Son who has beheld the glory of God. Wow. John 17, 22. This is amazing. And the glory which you gave me, what's the glory? The glory is the Father's love for the Son and, the, and as a result, the Son's love for the Father. That's what the glory is about. So when we talk about the glory of God, it's not something nebulous. It's the overwhelming love of the Father for His Son. And no one can come to the Father except through the Son. You cannot know God without the Son. You cannot know God without being loved as a Son. You can't know God without love. You may have an intellectual understanding of God, but the only way to the Father is through the Son. And the Son's beloved of God. You gave them the glory, sorry, and the glory you gave me, I gave to them. That they would be one as we are one. The only way I can be one with God is to receive the glory. I in them, that's Jesus in me, and the Father in Jesus, that they may be made perfect in one. That's why I'm in Christ, because in that place of being in Christ, I am loved by God. So that's why you need to understand the whole concept of righteousness. It's a state of being as a son and daughter of God. That means no matter what I do or say from that moment on, he sees me in the son and I am an object of his unconditional love and kindness. Isn't that amazing? That the world would know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. See, the father loves you as much as he loves the son. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, that's us, may be with me where I am, that they would behold my glory which you have given me. Listen, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The glory that God gave Jesus is this, his eternal love. 
And he's saying, I want the church today to be in that state where I am, to know that you are eternally loved by God. That's what raised Lazarus from the dead. It's an encounter with the heart of God that brings us alive. You haven't got this on the screen, but it says in verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, which is Father. And I will declare that that the love which you love me would be in them and I in you. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. So Jesus came from the heart of God. And he says, I'm the only one that has seen God. And this is what he looks like. And isn't it interesting that John is the only one that lies in the bosom of Jesus. And he's saying to us, this is what Jesus is like. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Son, you'll become a son. Lazarus was dead and bound. He needed a saviour and he needed a son. He needed to be forgiven. He needed to be healed. We get saved by believing in the Son of God. We become healed by believing like the Son of God. So he is raised from the dead and he is unwound. And today God wants to raise people from the dead. If you've never accepted Jesus, you need to be born again. And if you've been born again, you need to be unwound. You need to be healed. You need to be set free. All the pain, all the shame, all everything. God wants you whole and free today. And the key is you've got to believe in the Son and you've got to encounter the Son. So Romans 12, 2 says that we are transformed. We are unwound by the renewing of our minds. See, here's the thing. Some of you are believing terrible lies about yourself. That God has said, sorry, that Satan has said all sorts of things about how God feels about you. You see yourself as unreliable, lazy, demotivated, insecure, all this rubbish. And it's not true. See, Scripture says in John 8, 44, that the, the, the devil is the father of lies. He's a murderer. So he kills, he steals, he destroys. He puts people in that cave. That's his job. And it says he does not stand in the truth. So here's the thing. If you take a position in the truth, he can't go there. Yeah. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, I don't feel loved. Well, it's got nothing to do with your feelings. Feelings are just belief indicators. That's all they are. Feelings are, are, are signs that you believe something. I don't feel loved. Well, it's because you don't believe you're loved. If you change your beliefs, your feelings will always match what you believe. Yeah. See, that's the whole purpose of the, whole, the holy place, the, the altar of incense, that they would take the hot coals from the outer court, which is a picture of the truth of God's love for us. It's where Jesus was sacrificed, the brazen altar. They would take those coals and they would mix, mix it with incense and the fragrance would fill the holy place. So it tells us that the fragrance is our emotions. They are supposed to be fueled by truth. The hot coals with the fragrance brings an aroma. The aroma over our lives is a mixture of our emotions and truth coming together. But when you burn emotions with lies, 
you get a bad fuel. And those that burnt bad offerings in the holy place were killed. So we stand in the truth. Because the devil can't stand in truth. The moment you begin to speak as a son, relational, right? And begin to declare God's unrelenting favor. You will never leave me or forsake me. In my darkest hour, you said you make, if I go to hell, you'll be there. If I go to heaven, you'll be there. Anywhere I go, I say to people, in your greatest sin, God is just as much there as in your greatest triumph. But don't sin because it hurts you. But it doesn't reflect on God's love for you. So the truth is, God is unrelenting in his love for me. And if you begin to believe that and confess that, the devil can no longer stand there. See, I got a breakthrough many years ago in my salvation. I was eternally insecure. I didn't have trouble with internal, eternal security. Mine was the opposite, eternal insecurity. Until I got a revelation and began to declare that I was born again a son of God. And now the devil has no area to stand there. He cannot, he does not question my salvation. I've taken him out of the equation because he can't stand in the truth. And you'll know the truth about the Son and the Father, and it'll set you free. So Lazarus is unwound because he gets a revelation. He hears the words of God. You've got to open the door of your heart. See, Jesus didn't speak until the stone was rolled away. You've got to allow the truth to come into your heart. God's in heaven. You're not. And your job is to open the word of God and allow Jesus to speak into that tomb. You've got to roll away the stone and say, all right, speak to me, Lord. See, if you don't do that, you'll stay in the tomb for the rest of your life. It won't be God's fault. Jesus is standing there waiting to speak to you. And he'll unwind you from head to foot. And there are many people here today are living examples of being unwound by the words of Jesus. The second thing we do is we encounter the love of God. So we, we allow him to unwind us with truth and we allow him to unwind us with deep encounters. Some of you may know a man called Jack Frost. and I don't mean the snowman. He was, he was an ama- he's gone to be with the Lord. If you can get his books on the Father Heart of God, they are profound. And he had one of the most tragic upbringings you could ever imagine it's hard to imagine that people can be so cruel to their kids but he endured cruelty like you had to you just it's hard to fathom and as a consequence he grew up bound he was a pastor he read his bible two hours a day prayed he preached all around the world but he was bound inside he was angry angry at his family angry at himself angry at god could that be absolutely There's a lot of broken people trying to change the world. And he said, one 45-minute encounter with God changed him more than 15 years of praying and begging God. And we posture our heart. We ask Jesus to come into those areas of darkness and we say, Lord, I need you to love me back to wholeness. And he does. And there will be moments in our life where we'll encounter God at such a deep level. I know in my life, there have been times where I've responded to an altar call or whatever you want to call it, a time of prayer. And I've walked out 
And I don't know what happened. But when I walked back to my seat, something had changed. I felt like something had been removed from my life. Pain and things that I just didn't know how to deal with. God met me with his love and he unwound me. And he wants to do that to you today. In fact, he wants to do that every day. He wants to love you back to wholeness. I'm going to finish with a story. And uh, again, it's taken from the book of John. Because John's the master at showing people how to be loved by God. Many of you know this story, but it's, it's worth repeating again. Jesus took a towel and he poured water into a basin. And whenever you read stories about basins and boats, the pictures of the, of the heart. So he takes a bowl and he pours water into this bowl. And it's a picture of his deep emotions and affections for us. And he wants to wash the disciples' feet, but they've been to the school of religion. They don't know God as a loving God. And he comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, what is it that you are doing? I didn't sign up for this emotional trip in church, you know, encountering Jesus. I'm not into that spiritual stuff. I just want someone to preach a three-point sermon and go home. And you want to wash my feet? You, you, want, to, you want to what? And Jesus said, I, I want to wash your feet. And he says, Peter, you don't get it. I, I know you don't get it. And, and, and that's a good thing because we don't always get it when God encounters us. It goes way over our head. That how, how can a moment in time, Derek Prince, many of you know, in his 80s, preached all around the world. And he says, in his 80s, God came to him when he was laying in bed and an encounter with God totally healed him from an orphan heart. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. I know that when God comes knocking on the door of my heart and he encounters me, nothing's ever the same again. So you don't get it, Peter, but down the track you're going to get it. You, you can't explain this encounter. But down the track you'll know that as a result of that, my life is no longer the same. And many of you can testify to that. You've had encounters with God where the love of God has, has for want of better words, zapped you, overpowered you, consumed you. And you walk away and something's changed. Peter said, Jesus, you will never, ever, ever wash my feet. Under your foot is something called the soul. And our soul is what touches a cursed world. And our feet get dirty. And Peter's saying, Jesus, I, I do not want you pouring out your emotion and your heart into the areas of my life that are damaged. You ain't going there. I'm not letting you touch the abortion that I had, the time when I was abused, the pain, the hurtful words, words whatever it might be, the abandonment, all the unbelief. You're not going there. And Jesus says, Pete, if I can't wash you, then you can't have any part of me. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? Because he's saying to us, you've got to let me love you 
if you're going to enter the kingdom. And a lot of us don't want Jesus to love us. And Jesus is saying here, the key to coming into the kingdom is you've got to let me love you unconditionally. And Peter said, well, that's the case, not just my feet, but give me an overall scrub. (laughs) And he says, you're already clean, Peter. You're in the kingdom. You're born again. But you've got some areas in your soul that I need to touch. Don't be be afraid that you're not a son, but you're a son that's damaged. And I want to heal that. And so I can imagine, you know, our feet are a place that we, we don't like to parade. We don't like people touching our feet. I had a picture of me sitting on the stage today. You know, when you're creating a sermon, you think, I could do this and that. And someone pulling off my shoe and I had a sock that had holes in it and smelly feet. And then someone's washing my feet. And there's some toe jam there. And, you know, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't want anyone to go there. You know, feet are quite private. But it's no different in the areas of our heart. I don't, I don't want it to be on display. I don't want to acknowledge that I've got a problem. See, every single person here, every leader, every pastor, every person is on a journey to wholeness. Everyone. Nobody here today doesn't need to be washed, doesn't need the Father's love in an area of their life to reassure us, to love us, to make us whole. We're on a journey. So he says to Peter, if you want to be part of me, you've got to let me wash you. And Peter did. And Jesus unwound him. So we see the love of the Father. I believe that was the, that was the greatest glory bomb moment in the New Testament in, 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 with the disciples and Jesus. Imagine the love that filled the room as Jesus began to walk around and touch people's feet. Because it wasn't just making their feet clean, it was making them whole inside. As he touched their feet. And the love that the Father had for the Son and the Son had for the Father began to flow through them, wave after wave after wave. Lazarus is sick. The world is sick. Jesus said, you know what? After this act, all the world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, if, if you allow me to heal you and you begin to minister that healing as a son to others, the world will see a totally different father. Not an angry God, not a God that's separate, not a God that's demanding that you get your life together. But I'll see a God that has such passionate love for his children. Yeah. Jesus in John is the son of God. He is the expression of the heart of the Father towards us. And for those that receive him, to all those who receive him, he gives them the authority to become sons of God too. You can be born again today if you've never received Jesus, but you can be healed as well. You can take another step towards being unwound. It's here for you today. And I believe God's love is here. Don't you? So if you're listening on live stream, YouTube, for those here today, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, He calls to you, remove the stone, let me speak to your heart. 
He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus arose from the dead. And that's a type of being born again. And the spirit of sonship came into his heart and he cried out, Abba, Father. The moment you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside you. He heals your heart. God forgives you. No more are you unclean. You are righteous before God. And the Holy Spirit begins the work of transformation where you cry out, Abba, Father. God, you are my Father. God is love. And, that, and we are made in His image, so we are designed. It's in our DNA. We are hardwired to be loved by Him. And Lazarus is a picture of a world that doesn't know that the, the root of their pain and problems is that they haven't encountered the love of the Father. So today, if you've never received Jesus, the Son of God, as your Savior, you can do that today. Say, Lord, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you that you've dealt with the sin nature on my behalf. I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior. You, the Son of God, died in my place that I could be made a son. So I receive the forgiveness of the Father for rejecting him, for living life my own way. Come and forgive me and cleanse me. And the moment you pray a prayer from your heart like that, the Bible says that you will be saved and that God will take up residence in your heart. You will come alive spiritually. Lazarus rose from the dead. He stood up. And the second invitation to those that are now children of God is that God wants to unwind us. He wants to speak into that tomb, the areas of the dark and bound, and He wants to love us back into wholeness. He wants to pour out His emotions over the areas that are broken, the areas that we're ashamed of, the areas that we don't want to bring to light, the areas of our pain and our confusion. He's the answer. His love is the answer to your life. It gives you purpose. It gives you energy. It gives you victory. So I'm asking today, Lord, that your words of love would go into the deep recesses of people's hearts, the areas of pain. And if you're listening on live stream, if you're watching today, if you're here in the auditorium, I invite you to lift up your hands and to receive his love and to make a commitment from this day forward that you will pursue the heart of the Father. And that you would allow him to heal every area of your life so that you would walk in wholeness and in freedom. He loves you. And he wants to wash your feet. As I read that story, I got a profound picture of Jesus coming and washing our feet. And that as we go home, that we can encounter him that way. We can picture him coming to us and those moments where we're ashamed of that we're in pain we say Lord would you wash that memory that context would you make it whole would you heal our hearts and he'll do that today and he'll continue to do that so we thank you today Lord for your love we thank you Jesus that you came as the son of God to reveal to us the heart of the father we love you and we receive your love today. Why don't you just say that over your life, I receive your love today.
Say it again, I receive your love. Say it again. I thank you, Lord, you've made us worthy to receive your love. You've made us clean. Thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.